a rich tradition. College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, things are good. It's a little warm outside, but, uh, you know, I guess that's the best you can ask for during summertime. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's been weird over, you know, we're, we're both in Georgia, so it's, it's been weird with, uh, you know, a week ago we were told it was going to be like nonstop rain or at least up here, nonstop rain all week. And then it's only really rained for it only rained for like maybe 30 minutes total between the last two, two or three days. And so, um, uh, and then yesterday, like yesterday it was weird cause it was like a monsoon for like, and maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then, and my power went out, which, you know, we tried to record yesterday, but outside of that, there's, it's, there's been like no rain. So anyway, that was long winded for no reason. Sorry. Well, you know, the weatherman's right. Only a fraction of the time. Yeah. So uh, before we get to the Pac-12 and our one big question, we do want to give a shout out, a congratul or a, a, a thank you to uh, David Waters for uh, inviting us on to the Gator Breakdown podcast and having a fun conversation about the uh, Georgia-Florida battle for this upcoming year. The preseason battle is mainly what we talked about this go around as uh, the uh, Florida Gators have sort of edged in terms of the conversation, have edged uh, the Bulldogs out, yet the uh, we know that the Dogs have held on to their spot in terms of on the field the last two years. But we had a conversation with David about uh, Jamie Newman, about uh, Dan, and about Kirby and different stuff, and that was a good time. So we thank, uh, we thank David Waters and, and the crew for bringing us on, and uh, that was a good time. Enjoyed it. Um, uh, and so thanks to, uh, to David Waters. Yeah, I completely agree. And, th- and thank you to Braden Gall for, yep. for being yep. on there too. That was, that was a lot of fun. I, yep. I got to I got the fanboy for just a second because I'm just a huge fan of his. So. David uh, uh, Braden Gall, of course, with the Athlon magazine, which we use a lot to kind of help us uh, keep straight for the upcoming season. And uh, so it was fun to talk with him. And uh, if you haven't checked out David Waters and his Gators Breakdown podcast, it's uh, it's 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 a great place to go for everything Florida Gators. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, so one big question for the Pac-12, and we'll start with the California Bears. Robbie, I'll go ahead and give you the Golden Bears, I should say. Uh, I'll go ahead and give you my question. Can they build off of 2019's end-of-the-year success? They were able to rattle off uh, four of their final five games were wins, and they scored 33 points, 24, 28, and 35 while still playing some pretty good defense, did get lit up by USC in there, but we know USC has some nice talent and a nice system as well. But uh, that whole month of November and the one game in December against Illinois, uh, California ended the year on a good on a good note. Can they continue to do that for uh, for uh, 2020? Yeah, and like my question kind of revolves around that as well. It's can the offense finally catch up to the defense? Yes. Um, because – you know, Justin Wilcox is since he's gotten there has produced a a quality of a high quality defense in a, in in a lot of regards. But man, they have just that. All, I mean, especially two seasons ago, it was just awful. And and this year was you know the they ended strong. And so you know, can the offense finally catch up? And um, I, I don't I don't know. Like I I don't know what the answer is. I I hope that's a yes because if it's a yes, then we're we're talking about Cal being a legit contender for their division. Yeah, if Jay, uh, if Chase Garbers can sort of build off of last year's momentum, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, and he and he was picked for Athlon as the third uh, the third uh, all-conference quarterback. So if, um, if he can build off of that success or if the offense can find a way to sort of build off of what he was able to do so well last year – then absolutely, they did have another quarterback. It felt like there was a lot going on at the quarterback position for California last year. 215 attempts for Garbers, but Modster also had 122 attempts. So if they can settle on Garber, stay consistent, I don't see why they uh, wouldn't be able to do a little bit better than uh, 21 points per game um, on the offensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, I agree. All right, very good. Moving right along, the Oregon Ducks are next. Uh, Roberto, I think everything seems to be in place for Oregon. There might be a few question marks here or there, but they're relatively small ones. The only large one that remains is who's going to play quarterback this upcoming season. They do have options, but can they elevate, can they speed up or catch up the quarterback position to the rest of the team? Luckily, they do have the running game to lean on a little bit, but that's the ultimate question, I think, for Oregon. Uh, can they elevate the quarterback position to the rest of the team in time to make a, to make the run that they want to make for a playoff spot? Yep. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's a really good question, because I, mean, I think everybody would agree that, you know, their defense is going to be legit. Their offensive line is going to be really good. Um, they they've got their two best pass catchers are not injured and they're healthy this coming into the year, and hopefully they won't you know almost lead lead the country in drop passes like they did last year. Um, and so, I mean, so like those those are that's a really important question. It's probably the most important question for this team. And and so my my question revolves around their coach Cristobal is like can Oregon get over the hump like and I know I know a lot of people will say you know well they, they've got time Cristobal has only been there really a year you know uh, one one full year actually and, and I know that that's the they want to give him some grace and I and I agree with that he's recruiting at an incredibly high level but I just kind of feel like Oregon is in a spot right now with the, the rest of the Pac-12 being so down they have an opportunity to pounce on really everybody in their in, in their uh, in their conference and if they like, they can win. We said this a couple weeks ago. They can lose that game to Ohio State and still make the playoff. They cannot lose to North Dakota State and make the playoff. Um, but like, all they have to do is run the table, go eleven and one. So I guess to make my question more specific is, can Oregon go eleven and one this year? Yeah, and and the reason why you're pointing out that North Dakota State team is. They they're the they're the cream of the crop right now in FCS, and it's almost not even close. They've had an unprecedented a uh, ten year span of being incredibly successful. The head coach at Kansas State came from North Dakota State. Is that correct? Say that one more time. I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit for me. The Kansas State head coach came from North Dakota State. Is that right? I believe that's right. Chris Kellerman there. That's at Kansas State. I know I just surprised you with that question, but yeah. the point is. Kansas or North Dakota State has had an incredible run over the last 10 years, and that's why we sort of hint at them possibly being able to upset Oregon there at the beginning of the year if the Ducks don't pay attention to that game uh, as they uh, have to look to Ohio State there in Week 12. So, yeah, that is, that's going to be a big question. You can't overlook North Dakota State. Yeah. All right, moving right along, Oregon State. Who is – and I'm going to mess this first name up, but Hamkler – Rashid Jr. And again, I know I messed up that first name, but nonetheless, senior outside linebacker for them, 14 sacks last year, 22 tackles for loss, a big piece to that defense that's coming back that was so improved last year from 45 points down to 32 points. Who is he and can he help Oregon State get to a bowl game? There are about six games on here that are winnable but it's cutting it close because it's only six. So they've got to be good and they've got to capitalize on those opportunities and maybe even upset somebody if they want to get back to a bowl game. But um, I, I found it very interesting that they've got somebody coming back on the defensive side of the football, 14 sacks. What was the record last year? Or not the record, but the leader last year was 17 or 18. So this guy was really, really good last year for an Oregon State team who, um, who vastly improved on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, um, like o Oregon State was quietly one of the most fun teams to watch in the country last year. Yep, that they, they were they were just putting up points on everybody. You know, now unfortunately they they couldn't really put put together they could they couldn't put the game to, you know the the, the wins together. Um, but it wasn't, and it was basically because their defense was just so dreadful last year. Um, but I remember last year. I remember our question coming into last year was I, I asked something along the lines of could, um, uh, oh, of course I can't remember his name off the top of my head now. Um, they're running back. Um, is it Art Pierce? 
I think uh, Artavius Pierce, but there's yeah. also Jameer Jefferson. Well, my my question Jefferson was, was the thousand was the big thousand yard back from the previous year. Yes, and, and, and he didn't do that this year though. No, and that that was my question. Last year was along the lines of could Jameer Jefferson lead the Pac-12 in rushing? He obviously didn't, but Art Pierce was a thousand yard you know a thousand yards from scrimmage this year. Um, and so like their offense and they've returned both those guys coming into this year. I'm I am very confident in how like I'm very confident Oregon State is going to be a threat this year. And so my question is this, can Oregon State keep Oregon from making the playoff? Because mm. yeah, that would be uh that would be some Now when you say threat, what are you talking about threat? Like bowl game threat or like double yeah, digit yeah, threat? Yeah, yeah. Or... I, I think no 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 no. Threat. Are they winning the Pac-12? Just let me let me just let me just clarify. A, a, a threat for a national title would be like Florida. A right. threat a threat to go to, go to a bowl game is Oregon State winning like sure. six or seven games. Yeah. Um and and I I think they can. Ben, their offense was just so good. Was just so good. Um uh but but I I think I, my question is can they can they beat Oregon because look they're they're going to lose because because they probably can't do this consistently week in week out they're probably going to lose five or six games just by the sheer talent they have on their team but if they can if they can beat some of these big dogs and kind of screw some people's season up I I think I mean I think that's a huge win for their program. Yeah, and while we talked a little bit about Oregon State's defense improving by nearly two touchdowns, they did give up 50 points one, two, three times, but only gave up 24 points to Oregon last year in a 24-10 to 10 loss there at the end of the year. And so, I mean, they played well in that rivalry game uh, against the Ducks. So I, I think where you're coming from is – you know, if they make the improvements on offense, they do have to replace Jake Lutton, who only threw three interceptions last year and 28 touchdowns. That's going to be a big piece to to play replace uh, offensively. But if the defense can continue to improve, yeah, I think they can get to the bowl game for my question. And then, too, if Oregon's not careful there at the end of the year, they certainly could. Yeah, I agree. Certainly could. All right, uh, moving right along here. The uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys are the sort of uh, – Oklahoma State? Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, well, I, I'm getting to it. I'm getting okay, to it. Okay, my bad, my bad, my bad. Are sort of the darling of, of Robbie Stelton Paul. Yes, they are. The, the Stanford Cardinal have become a little yes. bit of a darling for me. And, and it's funny because I just don't understand Robbie's darling feelings for Oklahoma State, and he doesn't understand my darling feelings for Stanford. But um, nonetheless, the question for the Cardinal, who are our next team, can they survive their own graduate program? Stanford, like many other schools in the in the country, have to deal with high um, uh, high grade point averages and, and and high enrollment or what's the word I'm looking for here, Robbo? They've got to deal with a lot of uh, qualifications to get into school that some other schools might not uh, might not hold their kids to the to the same standards. But the graduate program apparently has led to a very large exodus for. The Stanford football team, they've had a lot of people transfer out of the program, and it seems as though from the things that I've read that it has a lot to do with their graduate program. So after a bad year last year of 4-8, and eight, can they survive the graduate program to sort of stop the bleeding? Probably not. Yeah. Um, and, it's, it, and that correlates to my question. Um, will Stanford ever be great again? Like under Shaw, because they have over the last three or four years, we have seen them make a steady transition from this, you know, heavy run team to now the a spread type offense over the last two years, where they got these big receivers, and you know they basically Bryce Bryce loves inability to stay healthy. I know kind of probably forced their hand in that regard, but man, they've just been getting trampled the past couple of years by teams that they shouldn't, and. Like I, I called this last year. You got mad at me because I, I bashed Stanford, and I just want to point out that I was right. Um, that they, they were going to take another decline. And so my, my question is this: like, are they ever going to be great again under Shaw? Is it a Shaw issue? Is it just a changing of the guard of talent? Is, is it like what needs to happen for Stanford to matter again? 
Because you tell me, Spencer, what has it been? Almost three or four years since we were like, man, they're a contender for the Pac-12. Well, they were nine and four in 2018. And but again, that nine and four was not a or excuse me, nine and four. Yeah, nine and four and eighteen, and that was a five and three record in the conference. So they lost plenty of the games that they shouldn't have lost, and that was a little bit of the year where you saw the introduction of KJ Costello, and mm-hmm. you saw the decline of. Bryce Love, like you mentioned. So, yeah, that, that year, I think, has really thrown things off. And then they haven't replaced quite well. Now, I do know, I went and looked, because I knew this was going to, we were going to get to this, that you were going to question my boy David Shaw. So, <laughs> uh, I did go and look. Recruiting has not been bad the last two years. It's not been, necess- it's not, you know, Kirby Smart, but it's not bad the last two years. I think it's been inside and around the top 30. So, Part of me says if he can continue to do that um, and sort of stop the bleeding on the graduate transfer deal, I don't see why they can't, but maybe he's checked out a little bit. There was always that conversation about him going to the NFL. Maybe he's checked out a little bit and has missed that opportunity to make the jump to the NFL, and uh, and he maybe he's starting to lose something. So I won't be um, I won't be turned off to that possibility, I guess. And, like... I like Shaw. It has nothing to do with me disliking uh, him. I don't, don't don't lie to us now. Come on. No, it it, it just I don't know what you hate happened. his guts. <laughs> he is scum between your toes. I he hate what you vomit. I hate what he's turned Sanford into. Like, it, it, like, and, and he it wasn't like this, you know, four or five years ago. And so I just I just don't know what the answer is. Yeah, uh, it's surprising. David's been there for nine years. And he's, what is it? He's 84 and 34. So the decline is, I mean, he obviously sustained some success after Jim Harbaugh left, but then that has now faded. And I don't think it's because of all Jim Harbaugh's guys left. He's just, something's happened and they've hit a snag here. Uh, And and you're right. I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome it Um, because I did. I think I went back on the recruiting and the recruiting's never again been outstanding in terms of you know top 15 or even top 10 there for Stanford so I, I guess the only thing we can do is is wait for time to tell us whether or not Davis Mills is the quarterback he's highly recruited out of Georgia um, he had a he had a very spotty season last year uh, we'll see if he's uh, can stay healthy and be the guy again this upcoming season injuries have kind of hurt the team the last two years they survived it in 18 and uh, they didn't survive it last year. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Uh, Washington is the next team. Can the Huskies go a sixth straight season in a row giving up less than 20 points on defense? The defensive coordinator takes over the program as Chris Peterson has left. And going all the way back to 2015, they've given up 18, 17, 16, 16, and then this past year, 19 points per game. As the head coach, can the, you know the, a defensive-minded head, uh, head coach, can they continue that streak for a sixth season? That's a, it's a detailed question. Yeah, especially yeah, for yeah. A new regime. Man, I. That's a good question. I, I mean, in my. My question actually relates to their current situation, you know, as well. What, what is the Washington program now? That's my question. Like, what is, what is the Washington Huskies now? Because it was, it was Peterson. We knew that they were going to, you know, compete in every game. They were going to be, they were going to be contenders for, for the Pac-12. You know, like that was a consistent, we kind of understood that from the time Peterson got there. And now that he's gone and you hear all these, you know, you hear kind of these, you don't want to call them jabs, but you just hear these like kind of little quotes that the co- new coaches made about X's and O's being a focus and recruiting being being a big deal and all this stuff. Like, what what is Washington now? Yeah, almost as if something with Chris Peterson checked out. Yeah, we just got done talking about that with uh, you know with David Shaw, but we were sort of under the impression that Chris Peterson had had exhausted himself, and now we're sort of getting more comments that uh, all the ones that you just touched on that make it sound as if that's exactly what happened, that, you know, there was a there was a loss of focus. 
And from what I've read, they want to go out and sell a high swagger defensive team with a brand new offense. But nobody's really sure what the new offensive coordinator is going to install. So part of your question is going to go unanswered. Uh, but it sounds like when they, the last time they were really good was when they played Alabama in that, in that playoff game. That was the last year. And even in that game against Alabama, I remember thinking to myself, this team is still playing really hard. They're really fighting. This is going to be a Washington team under Chris Peterson that's going to stay around. And then something changed because they've never been the same. They've never been that team again, even in that game against Alabama, that they would end up losing and losing convincingly. But you could still see that they were fighting uh, in that game. They were playing really hard. I think maybe you get back to that. You get back to a team that has an edge and an attitude to them now. And it might not all come together in year one because of some question marks offensively, but I feel like maybe you're going to see another team who could push for right around 20 points a game again, making everybody really have to work for wins against them. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And, and like you said, like it, it just has some of the messaging has kind of been weird with, with post Peterson life. And, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with someone, you know, being, you know, burnt out, especially in this era of college football when it comes sure. to being a head coach and all the recruiting that goes in, goes into it. You know, I mean, we're, we're going to get to a coach here in a few minutes that actually greatly hates recruiting. <laughs> um, and so, and it's because it's, it's a, you know, it's a gauntlet and um, I just, I'm very curious to see what Washington is now moving forward. I Yep, moving uh, moving to the next team, Washington State. And I'm going to get this last name wrong, and you might can help me. Will Max Borgi be the first 1,000-yard rusher since – do you want to take a guess at the year? No. 2005. Wow. And it was a 1,900-yard back that year, believe it or not, for uh, 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 Jerome Harrison. Went 1,900 yards – 308 attempts, 6.2 yards per carry, and 16 touchdowns. And a wildly incredible year, and then nothing even close to a 1,000-yard rusher uh, since then for Washington State. That's interesting. I mean, because we know dang well that there was there was never going to be a 1,000-yard back with, with Leach at, at Washington State, right? Like that right. Just, so, I mean, yeah, we're, we're looking at now 15 years without one. We know what kind of offense he runs, or, you know, Leach ran, and – there's a good argument to be made that part of the problem that 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 was there at Washington State is because of how predictable in many ways his offense was. It was going to put up numbers for those who didn't have the talent or didn't have the endurance to really keep up. But there were also there were also times where you would come across a team who was built properly and a, a defensive uh, defensive uh, coaching staff that knew exactly what to do. You know, I'll never I, we've talked about it before, but I'll never forget the time where after the Washington after the Washington Washington State game a couple of years ago when uh, uh, it had Falk Falk was the Washington State quarterback. And they just got in the snow globe game and they kind of just like got got handled by Washington and the defense coordinator for um, for Washington was just kind of like, yeah, we, we knew exactly what they're going to do on every down. Like we, we, we just we knew exactly what was going to come because it was just predictable. Right. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things for Mike Leach going forward is how do you avoid that? And, and obviously mm -hmm. playing in the snow doesn't help. But when the good defensive coordinators start to catch on to what the few plays are and to the different things that you do, the very few different things that you do, you know, how do you, where do you go with that? Because it's obviously not just some sort of fluke that you're just waiting on people to catch on to. It's very successful for Mike Leach. So, you know, where do you go through, you know, how do you keep it fresh and keep uh, the defensive coordinators off the, off the scent there? Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope it I hope it gets better. You know, I hope I hope it's a good situation. All right, uh, Arizona can Gunnell Gunnell and company keep Sumlin uh, from getting fired? Can they save Kevin Sumlin? So that is the quarterback Grant Gunnell, a sophomore, threw nine touchdowns, only one interception, had 155 attempts last year, Robbo. But all of that sort of came in some kind of spotty work. He never really got a great opportunity to get in and be be the consistent guy for Arizona. So if he's the guy and can have a consistent go of it, could he potentially come in and save Kevin Sumlin at Arizona? They went 
four and eight last year. Could they find a bowl game this year because of Grant Gannell exploding onto the scene? I'm going to go with a hearty no. Yeah, like, unfortunately for Kevin Sumlin, it seems like maybe he's 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 done. Yeah, I don't mean, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to belittle your question. Like, I'm, no, of course not. I I couldn't find a lot to ask for for Arizona. Yeah, yeah. well, you know why? You know why you have that situation? Because freaking Kevin Sumlin was walking into probably one of the greatest playmakers in college football, especially one of the greatest playmakers in the Pac-12 since Reggie Bush at quarterback. This dude can can literally do it all, and he made him look like a he made him look like freaking Doug Peterson playing quarterback. Like he made him look awful. And I don't know how you do that whenever you had Johnny Menzel win a Heisman in your offense and you have a player who's possibly better at that position and you come into Arizona, you come into Arizona, there is, for me, I, w- I was excited because I knew Arizona had talent because I knew that they had recruited kind of well with Rodriguez, but, and so I knew he wasn't walking into a barren, a barren cupboard and he comes out here and they look freaking awful. And you took, again, you take a player that could have been a Heisman candidate and you turned him into a garbage quarterback. And uh, so like, my question is, can we get him fired by October? Like, that's my question. Can, can someone be gone by October? Do you, do you need some water there, pal? Sorry. You okay. Just, he, you want me to pour you a drink? Him, him, him and, and freaking Chip Kelly. Just they they overcooked my grits, man. I'm, no, apparently, I well, oh, I'm apparently sorry. Apparently, so. I mean, but and maybe not as passionate as I am. But doesn't it frustrate you too? Like, yeah, because I think the the reports that you read um, were that they were trying to make him a pocket passer, sort of like you know, how they did with Michael Vick in the NFL for, for a period of time there where it was kind of like, we've never seen this sort of thing before. And we're going to try to, you know, rein in Michael Vick a little bit and make him a passer and, you know, do the running thing when it's convenient. But in college football, you don't, you don't ever take the wheels off of, 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 off of a runner, not in college football In the pros, maybe you do, but in college football, you don't take the you know, you don't put the Ferrari in the garage. You you, <laughs> yeah. you take that, you pull that bad boy out. And in the first year, I mean, there was 26 touchdowns and only eight uh, interceptions thrown for Khalil Tate, but his ground game was not there at all. And then this past year, it, it regresses even more. He throws 216 attempts, 1,900 yards, 14 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. So, yeah, I mean, you take a great opportunity and you sort of run it into the ground and – you know, that's a – I agree. that That's sort of a, a tough pill to swallow. Because it's Arizona, though, and what are the expectations at Arizona, and do they try to let Kevin Sumlin play around for a while? Just well, be a got, devil's advocate. Well, I think, I think their expectations were freaking definitely higher than going 6-6 six and six or, or gunning for 6-6 six and six and because that's why they got rid of Rodriguez. And, like – I don't know, man. I just remember, you know, Rodriguez's last year, Rich Rod's last year there, and Tate, especially in those like last five or six games, was the, one of the most unstoppable forces I've ever seen. You know, you know, obviously there were other people who were unstoppable, but he was just so fast and he was so dynamic. And and I'm not saying he would have been a great NFL quarterback. I think he was just an, an incredible backyard college football quarterback, and it was just awesome to see. And he, but he was almost unstoppable, and like. Someone would. Someone has. Someone is known. Like this goes back to what you had talked about a couple of years ago, and it may not even been. You know, I don't think it was on our podcast. It may have been on your radio show, but I remember us talking about how Kevin Sumlin may quietly be a quarterback cancer, and and we and you were pointing out how many how many stud quarterbacks left him at Texas A and M to go on and be prosperous at other schools. And, yeah, and, and some of that was a little bit more of. Him, Kevin Sumlin made the mistake of not handling Johnny Manziel the right way, and that that then led to the mass exodus, one of them being Kyler Murray, who would go on and win a Heisman Trophy and make the playoff with uh, what you call it and become the uh, you know a first overall draft choice. So, yeah, I, I think Kevin Sumlin made a, a drastic mistake in the way he was handling 
Johnny Manziel and the and the party boy Manziel. Manziel, you know, Johnny Football, whatever it was called. So I think that's where that conversation that you're touching on sort of sprouted from was how he handled Manziel and then the mass exodus that would follow that with those quarterbacks all exiting. Kept, Kyler Murray was just one of them. It happened with several others. Just not – I went – I went from a huge fan of someone to just someone I just don't even think he should be a head coach anymore. Speaking of huge fans, we both really, really like the Sun Devils. Arizona mm-hmm. State's next on our list. Mm-hmm. What I would like to know for Arizona State, they've had some losses on the offensive side of the ball, four returning starters. Who's going to step up and help Daniels and Darby on the offensive side of the ball. There needs to be a third piece. It could be the offensive line. It could be a running back, which the two could go hand-in-hand with one another. But Daniels and Darby are going to need something to step up to take the offense to another spot because as good as they were last year, they only averaged 25 points a game. They're going to need to do better than that if they're going to push for the division and push for uh, possibly even a Pac-12 championship. So who's stepping up this season to help Daniels and Darby? Uh, and, and my question is in kind of the same vein, but it's more specific to one play, one, one player. Can Daniels be Superman this year? Can Daniels be Superman? Because I kind of think it's going to take Superman to, to like, I, I've said this on Twitter. I think I've said this on here before, but just to reiterate, I think if you put Jaden Daniels on almost any top 10 team outside of obviously the the big three who already have stud quarterbacks, I think you automatically make that team a national championship contender. Like, I, I think Daniels is that good. I think he is Heisman-level talent. Um, but unfortunately, he's going to absolutely have to be Superman for, for Arizona State to continue this upward trajectory. Yes, I agree, because he is losing a lot. Eno Benjamin leaves, a 1,000-yard rusher. Brandon uh, Ayoku leaves, 65 catches, 1,000-yard receiver, 18, uh, eight touchdowns as well. His next two receivers leave, including Eno Benjamin, who was a 42 receptions, 45 receptions, and Kyle Williams is out the door. Frank Darby is the next leading guy at 31 catches, and the rest, I'm guessing, from the information I'm looking at, are going to relatively be brand new guys. So you're absolutely right. He's going to have to be Superman, and the development of these other wide receivers is going to have to come along in a pretty expedient way to uh, to further things, you know, to help him be Superman. Somebody's got to catch those passes. So, And they didn't seem like they had a lot of design runs for him last year or a lot of successful design runs, only 2.8 yards per carry. So... Yes, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to step in that phone booth. I like that. Good reference. You're, you're welcome. All right, so uh, that's Arizona State moving right along. Ooh hoo hoo, ooh hoo hoo. I guess we should have left this for the for the last one, or maybe the first one, just to get it out of the way. Uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. Oof. Could the Mel Tucker situation have been any worse? Because it feels like that whole thing really puts a damper going into the season because nobody has any real great respect for Kyle Dor or Carl Doral, even though he's 35 and 27 in five years in the Pac-12. Nobody seems to have a great respect for uh, for this guy to, to come in and improve things. Maybe, maybe a placeholder, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum for them. Mel Tucker not only leaving, but leaving when he left, seems like the situation couldn't have been any worse. Yeah, um, like I mean, my qu- my question about Colorado was, where do they go from here? Yeah, like I because I I just yeah, cause I you, you felt like Mel was turning them into one direction and was starting to do some things on the recruiting trail, and now what? Yeah, no, that I mean, and. and well, he was doing that, but then he had possibly one of the best quarterback receiver tandems in the country and, and couldn't do anything with it. And and so I I don't know. I I don't know what I don't know what Oregon is now. And that's that's Colorado. probably I'm sorry, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to I don't know what Colorado is now. And so like that's that's what, what my question is is like where do they go from here? And and what how many years ago was it that they were playing in the Pac-12 championship game? And now it's sort of, and now it's three, three and nine. Is it three years? Yeah, might have been. 
and now yep. and now there's projected to go three and nine. Like, because their coach got fired for weird reasons that I don't even remember why. I just know his weird stuff. Yeah. And then Mel Tucker leaves the way that he does, and it just it's sort of another big step backwards. And, and well, and that that opens up a can of worms that you and I could talk about about how we get so upset about players transferring, but yet we, you know, I don't see any, I don't see a lot of uh, people, uh, big talking heads for college football destroying Mel Tucker for leaving, you know, leaving his school. Um, but man, tell you what, if Justin Fields leaves, he's he doesn't want to he doesn't want to compete. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I just, I hate, I hate the double standard. But anyway, let's let's yeah, let's and move on. and obviously just to round the conversation a little bit, the I think the money aspect of it really plays a big factor. Yes. And I think, and I think when you come to the player, it's the 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 money correlation would be the playing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Justin Daniels's playing opportunity at Ohio State was drastically different than it was at. Uh, at Georgia, and that includes the system, which is basically the same thing as Mel Tucker leaving Colorado for better money. Yes, I, I actually I don't have. It's not that I necessarily have a problem with with Tucker leaving. I mean, when apparently when they offer you that much money, like you can't really turn it down. My problem right. is just the the narrative. The double standard, yeah, yeah. The double standard is my problem. Sure. Um, UCLA next on the list uh, could. Chip be fired during the year. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of tee you up here because I know you don't like Chip Kelly either. So Chip Kelly be fired during the middle of the year. I was at one point tried to make it sound like, well, maybe Chip has some, uh, you know, mad scientist secret idea that none of us have ever heard of for rebuilding a team. And, you know, that was a, that's turning out to be the load of crap that it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it is a load of crap. Cause like, you know, and, and, I think what frustrates me, and it's it's it is it is gonna I'm gonna contradict myself. I don't know if this this horrible situation happens if he goes to Florida, like because I you know you see tons of Florida fans like think we dodged that bullet. Like I, I just I just don't know if it's the same if it's the same situation. Yeah, you're not handed the same kind of talent. I don't think you're not handed the same kind of talent. Not not you're you're not required to do do as much. You know, nationwide recruiting that he that he's that he has to do at UCLA, um, but but anyway, I'm I, I don't understand how Chip Kelly has turned into a horrible coach now. Well, and maybe you know this is a theme here on on, on our Pac-12 uh, uh, episode here. Maybe there's a burnout thing here for him, just like it is for Chip Kelly, and like we sort of speculated with David Shaw. Is there a burnout factor for Chip Kelly that he's just he's here, he's doing it. Maybe he thinks he wants to be doing it, but he really doesn't. Maybe. And you know, and he, he got a lot of money. He got a lot of money for Oh, he got a lot of know, money, yes. A lot of money to come to UCLA. He's demanded a lot of stuff as far as, you know, workout programs and eating programs and then COVID occurs. And so he's not able to keep his players on this nourishment plan that he, you know, that he, they spent so much money on. And, and so like for him and someone, I imagine almost that they're, this season's gonna be a wash for them. Um, you know, unless there, unless there's, you know, some awful stuff going on behind closed doors, but I can honestly see a situation where both of them are back next year, regardless of the outcome of the season. And, and, and my, I guess my question is like, to to your point, like it it was, this is what I was getting to is does Chip Kelly want to be here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's weird that you don't build off of the 32-point second-half comeback over Washington State to win 67-63 and mm-hmm. that thriller there uh, in Pullman. So you, you go from that and you lose the game to Arizona, and it's sort of like, okay, an emotional letdown after a really you know emotionally-filled ball game. Okay, that's one thing. But back-to-back games at Arizona and at Oregon State, two of the lesser teams, and you lose both of those games. I it's it it is tough. It's very tough. Now, just to sort of be sort of try to be optimistic here, he does return his quarterback and he does return quite a few skill position players. Maybe that turns into something. Maybe they can build off of that. Maybe. Well, and um oh, and of course I can't remember his name. D DGR. 
was uh, uh yeah it's uh d thompson robinson yeah dtr like i mean he he is a dude like he he's a he's a good player i i just you know this whole situation with them only offering offering recruits scholarships you know their their junior year during a certain month like it's just so weird um well, and it too, it doesn't help either. I guess you saw this headline. It doesn't help either that the didn't the players do some sort of protest about we don't think the coaching staff is going to keep us safe with the COVID. Well, that's kind of like ooh. Well, that's what that is what was reported, and then DTR came out and said that was not what we were getting. That's not what I was getting across at all. It has has nothing to do with. Um, with this, like our coach is taking care of us. We feel safe. Like I remember his response. It was, I feel safe with coach Kelly. It's, it's just the scenario of COVID and the, the, the higher ups making the right decisions. Um, as okay. far as college yeah. football as a whole. Um, yeah. Okay. I missed, I missed that response. No, 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 no. It's okay. I, I had the same initial uh, reaction. Like, well, this, this is not good for chip, for chip Kelly. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. Uh, two schools left. USC is on uh, is next on the list there the other team in Southern California um could Clay Helton pull an Ed O and shock the world now <laughs> I don't mean that to say he's going to go and have the most unbelievable season and go win a championship undefeated yada 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 I just mean from the standpoint of nobody's really believing in you we know that you've got a talented team. Uh, you've revamped the offense, which was some success had success last year, eight and five, uh, thirty-two points a game. But could he sort of switch the narrative like Ed Orgeron has? Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, Ed Orgeron's at the top of everybody's coaching list right now. Could Clay Hilton flip that script? He's got mm-hmm. the talent. He's been given the time at a place like USC. You wouldn't believe the kind of time that he's been given. He's been given it. Can he? Can he turn the narrative around uh, with his coaching um, resume, or not resume, but his coaching um, reputation? Can he turn that around and sort of shock the world and make everybody think? Well, I guess Clay is a really good coach. And you know what, man? After the there, yeah, I was gonna say like you're you're right. Like talent is is never the problem. And for for those that listening, and you may be asking yourself like, what are y'all talking about? USC sucks. No, no, no y'all y'all need to go look at twenty four seven sports composite rankings uh, for, for for player composite composite. They they are still ranked in the top twenty in most talented rosters in the country. Um, which I guess is still is why people are so frustrated as USC fans. Um. Like, and the thing is, Spencer, if what happened last year didn't happen, I probably would immediately say no, there's no way. But after after what happened last season with LSU and just the stars aligning the way they did, I, I can't shoot that question down in any capacity because I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, and, and here's a little spoiler alert, in July, I, I'm I'm a little close to thinking that USC can maybe beat Bama in week one. Like I'm not calling that right now, but like I don't think it's as crazy as it would have been, say, six or seven months ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just everybody make the note that Robbie said that, not me. <laughs> Robbie just, said that. Just w- w- all the things that you and I have talked about, and everyone has talked about, with you know having team chemistry really matters coming into this upcoming season, and you know Bama is kind of re- replacing a lot. USC is not really returning a lot. I mean, I'm sorry, it's, it's not really having to replace a lot. Like Bama's having to replace a lot on offense, and and so I, I'm just I'm looking at this season and I'm like, man, there's a scenario, Spencer, where USC legitimately goes ten and two. And yeah, they just missed out on ten wins last year. They they lost yes. to Notre Dame thirty to twenty seven and lost in overtime to BYU thirty to twenty seven. Their losses all looked bad, but they came against a. Uh, they came against Washington, which they probably shouldn't have lost that game either. So you're probably looking at 11 games that they should have won last year. But the Oregon loss, okay, that's Oregon right now. Not a loss that USC should have, 56-24 to or 49-24 to to Iowa in the bowl game. But nonetheless, as you're building things, 
I mean, this could have been an 11 win team last year. I don't know about the Bama thing, but you know, the defense has got a long way to go. It feels like too, but, um, but they've got but yeah. dudes. Like I just, I just think like the talent is all over the place and like to, to answer your question, cause, cause my question is, you know, can they go, can, can they get 10 wins this year? Um, but to, to your question, like, tell me, tell me he doesn't save his job if they beat Bama week one. It doesn't really matter what happens the rest of the season, right? Like, well, it would, uh, well I, I don't know. If you beat Bama at the beginning of the year and then you lose some harebrained game to, you know, to California or to, or to Washington or to Notre Dame at the very end of the year and sort of, you know, if you beat Bama at the end of the year, you're setting some ex- expectations for the rest of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and th- and that's you're going to have to come through and not slip up in a silly spot like against a Stanford team that's not super great, or you probably need to handle business against Arizona State, who you out talent, Utah, who you out talent, California, Arizona, uh, Washington, UCLA, you out talent those teams. You need to play like that and beat them. You can't have slip ups there, and that's sort of been the kind of question mark for UCL or uh, USC is there's been some slip-up moments. Probably shouldn't have lost that game to BYU or that game to to maybe Washington, 28-14. When the game with BYU, is that when, is that when Daniels got hurt? Might have been. Might have been. I think it was I the week. I think You I, might be right about that. Yeah, I think that was the following week from whenever he got injured. Um, I, and again, we, I, we don't, I'm not, again, I'm not calling it. I'm just saying, like, man... <laughs> There's a world in which the, it's fourth quarter and there's a tie game with USC and Bama this year. Like that that world to me exists because I think there's so much talent on USC or on their on their squad and I just don't man Helen can't be this bad of a coach, right? Like that can't that can't be real. Yeah. Because if he's that bad of a coach, I would think that USC one of the most prestigious programs in the country would have let him go. Yeah, it's, it's sort of confusing as to why exactly they've held on to him. Um, and maybe that's to have some sort of disp- uh, stability during the dysfunction that the rest of the program is having to, the rest of the university is having to put up with, which seems to be stabilizing. Uh, they've made some hires in other areas, so they seem to be stabilizing some stuff as well. But maybe Clay Helton was kept around for that reason, and he's got an opportunity this year after an 8-5 and five last year to, to build on that and sort of say, okay, I'm ready to stay here for a while. Yeah. I agreed. I think he could turn the corner. I just think if the, if he does beat Bama at the beginning of the year, he's going to have to hold on. He's going to have to maintain those expectations the rest of the, the rest of the go around. Cause you know, the world will ignite on, on, on fire with, uh, with red and yellow of the Trojans USC back on top of the college football world. It's them, Texas, Florida state, Miami, Notre you Dame. Know, we're, we're, we're salivating Notre Dame. We're salivating at the opportunity for those teams to be back on top. And it would happen. The, the expectations would go through the roof. Just really quick. Cause I know we got, we got one more team left. Uh, this just came out PAC 12 commissioner, Larry Scott, the worst commissioner, by the way, in college football says conference is ready to pivot quickly to alternate football scenarios. And CEOs have discussed p- possibility that some teams won't play. Quote, I, I was cautiously optimistic, but the last couple of weeks have changed everyone's outlook because of the extent to which restarting the economy and loosening restrictions has led to significant outbreaks. And like, I guess, I guess I understand. And it, maybe he's talking about at a state level, maybe he's not talking about certain teams because I, I'm, I've looked at stats that have been dropped today and, you know, th- throughout the day of teams like Michigan, just example, 322 student athletes have been tested. Only two came back with positive tests and, and and something like that a nuanced thing like that seems to not make a dent in the cautiousness that everybody is is yes in. yes and, and and so i don't want to sound like i'm belittling being cautious because everybody has a different perspective everybody has different factors at play in their personal life and what means to them yep. you know maybe they're sick or they have somebody who's not uh, who has a a compromised immune system, whatever. So they're they're thinking differently. But it seems as though with those who are being cautious, which it sounds like a lot of people are, and Larry Scott might be one of them, 
numbers like what you just gave out for Michigan or for other areas don't seem to make a dent, as well as the fact that cases might be going up, but fortunately, and we'll knock on wood for sure, deaths aren't going up. And again, knock on wood, because we don't want them to go up either. Um, And it doesn't sound like we're overwhelming hospitals all over the place. So it, it seems like while we're sort of panicking a little bit, there might be reason not to. But at the same time, it's, you know, anything could change tomorrow. Yeah. And and you and I off the air have had numerous conversations about, like, it's really hard to know who to believe. And it, it's really it's re- you know, what I'm saying like it's really hard to know who to follow, what stats to look at, because y- you go to this website and this this gives you a stat that shows this. You go to this website and shows you, you know, shows you a completely different stat. I just think everything this whole thing has become a, a very political cesspool of nastiness and negativity and i don't want to do that i'm not going to play into that i i just want to say like uh, uh, i agree with you there is nothing wrong with being cautious it is what's best for people and for students obviously um but i will say this and it has been said in other places and i just affirm to this it is better for these players i'm sorry it is better for the majority of these players to be at these facilities, these school campuses with incredible, you know, incredible healthcare, incredible medical facilities it is better for them to be tested and have it there than it is to be in their home, you know, be at their hometown where there may not be a great hospital in that town. You know, well, like, and, and two, and, you know, just as you're talking there, it sounds like, and you have student athletes, if, and it's not just football players, is what I mean, is if you could take. 300 kids off the hands of the hospital, you know, the local hospital there in Palo Alto or in Gainesville or Tallahassee or whatever, like that almost sounds like that would be a good thing. And obviously with the numbers that you gave for Michigan, you might not have to take off, you know, take the, take 300 off of anybody's hands. You're only taking two or three, four or five, you know, whatever the whole number is at a university, you, the, you, the university stepping up and helping, to say, okay, we got these kids over here. We'll take care of them. It might not be a major impact, but it's got to help something. Yeah, and, and you know, you look at Minnesota, 170. Only only seven student athletes have you know been positive. Um, just you, you go like you like these numbers have been posted all throughout the week, and you know, then we get to we get to Georgia, and you know, we don't know, we do not know who who are football players. Or who are stat football staff, but you know the number came out like a hundred. Apparently, a hundred and twenty students and staff have tested positive, um, and we don't know what that means. Does that mean at the beginning of June? Since the beginning of June, does that mean this week? And, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I think I am not. I am still optimistic that we'll have a season, um, but as far as what that season looks like, I, I almost can guarantee that we will not have fans in the stands. Like I, I like that's probably the bet that I would make right now is that we're not going to have fans, um, and, and it's just it's just uh, I would hate to live in a world where the Pac-12 only has like seven teams play in the season, you know? Yeah, because I mean, if you're if you're gonna if you're not gonna have Oregon a part of the college football season or USC not a part of the college football season, that's you know, that's a big blow. Obviously, it's a sacrifice that might have to be made, but it's a pretty big blow to only be down that many teams um, or to have those schools with those promising opportunities to have to to have to wait. And then at that point, you're putting some people's NFL careers on hold and yeah. and sort of on the line. So, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my senior year or I'm on my junior year. I'm looking forward to this upcoming college football season before I leave off to the NFL. But now I don't get that college football season and I can't really skip the NFL. You know, I need to kind of go ahead and make that jump. So, it, you know, it, it, it's a tough thing. And that's obviously just a side effect. You want to keep everybody healthy. But that's just one of those collateral damage like things, I guess I mean. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That that did, I did not mean to derail us. Uh, let's uh, let's finish strong with one last team. So that com- that news note that Robbie just gave comes out. Uh, we're recording on Thursday. So just in case anybody misses yeah. it, uh, Utah is our last team here. The Utes. Kyle Winningham, fifteen years, one hundred and thirty-one wins. An incredible, incredible job 
that he does there with the Utah Utes. But how crucial was last year's missed opportunity? Seven returning offensive starters, two returning defensive starters. This is not a team that recruits at a super high level. No, like, would they were barely top ten in the conference? Yeah, so and they're. Sorry, I, I just want to say, for those that don't know, and I don't even know if you and I have talked about this, Spencer, but apparently what what Winningham does, because of the state that they're in, what they do is they go and find these these, 20, these 22, 23, 24-year-olds who have gone on their two-year mission you know, for, um, for, the, for religious reasons, and they come back and they, they're, they're wanting to play somewhere, they're wanting to go to school, and that's who he gets. He gets these dudes that are grown men to play. And and so um, I, I I agree with you that they don't recruit they don't recruit you know normal high school talent very well but they just continue to get these like grown men, um, but but my my question is is along the same vein, will Utah ever have another chance like that with Whittingham? Because to me the answer is like an emphatic no. Yeah, Tyler Huntley was a really good quarterback. Zach Moss was really good at at the um. At the running back position, he obviously caught a lot for them last year as well uh, in the re- in the pass game. So, and I don't think the receiving position's ever going to be completely out of control. They spread the ball around to a lot of different guys. It looks like, but yeah, with I mean with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, it felt like Huntley and Moss were both beat up a lot last year as well. So. You know, yeah, last year it felt like there was an opportunity to really do something, and they just miss it, not being able to keep up with Oregon, not being able to keep up with Texas in the bowl game, and then USC at the very beginning of the year. They got out-talent, out-talented. I mean, <laughs> you know, the losing at USC, losing to Oregon and Texas, those are teams that all out-talent them. Mm-hmm. And, and probably by large leaps and bounds, they out-talent them. So that's, that's sort of a tough spot for, for, for Utah. I'm kind of surprised that Kyle Winningham hasn't got snatched up by somebody else in terms of his development because he, mm-hmm. he just seems to develop at, at a crazy rate because you can't survive. You've got to be pulling in high school recruits. So he's taking those guys and turning them into to big boy, big time uh, players. So that's a tough pill for me to swallow there for, for Utah that – Last year was a miss, and we might not see Utah back. They're projected to go eight and four from two uh, from Athlon, but I don't. I mean, I could very much see a seven win team, an eight win team, maybe like they're projecting, but it's not going to be those four win. Those four losses are going to come, and they're going to come maybe ugly to the other teams that out talent them again. Yeah, because like just just really quick, and I know we're we're going to try to wind down. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2017, Kentucky had, you know, was having one of the best seasons they've ever had. Um, you know, and they were playing Georgia for the for the the East title. And Lexington was crazy and nuts. And Georgia just came in there and just like, oh, that's cute and and handled them. But but since then, the two years post that, like Kentucky has still seemed to be like in the mix not necessarily for the East title, but they're still they're still thriving, right? Like, you know, a lot of people are expecting Kentucky to actually make a huge push this year and actually contend in a lot of the games against the big dogs in the SEC. And but like I don't see the same thing happening or being talked about with Utah. And and because everyone just kind of is like this, well, that was kind of like their one chance and, and that's all they're gonna get. Yeah, and maybe they can recruit their way back, you know, kind of build their way back. In, into something, put a couple of classes on top of each other, put a couple of developments, uh, uh, you know, into some stuff. And who knows? I mean, Kyle Winningham's been here for 15 years, so he's maybe got these guys ready to step into this spot and play really hard, and they're going to make everything super tough on most everybody this year. But um, And maybe we're not giving him enough credit there. But, yeah, it felt like there was a missed opportunity last year with the sort of seasoned veterans that he had. Yeah. All right, very good. That's the Pac-12 one big question next week. I think I don't have it jotted down, but uh, Big Ten for next week. You want to do? I think we've done the ACC and now the Pac-12, so I think we've yeah, still got a lot left to go. Let's do the Big Ten. Big Ten, Ohio State, and the uh, Qu- and the quietly ma- quietly maybe the best conference in football. Uh, yes, very much so. I-, I agree there wholeheartedly. All right, uh, Rob. Unless you have anything else. 
no, man, I'm good. Y'all just stay safe, wear masks, and just let's let's have college football season. <laughs> yes, let's try to have a college football season, please. All right, uh, we appreciate you joining us for a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip flop later. Later.